Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's Word, and let us be challenged to apply His truths to our hearts so that we may serve Him faithfully. May God bless you. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Picking up where we left off about a month and a half ago in our study of John. Allow me to read this passage, John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come in as light in the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's bow together. Lord, continue to give us wisdom, guidance as we study your word. Lord, help us to see that, Lord, you have sent the answer to all of our problems through your son, Jesus. Lord, it is our ability to believe and to know that he truly is our Savior and Lord that that we need to focus on. And Lord, as we go into this new year, Lord, help us to surrender anew to your Lordship, to know that we are in your hands, and Lord, that whatever we face, you are the guiding force in all that we need. Continue to give us wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding of your word. Help us to know how we can best apply it to our lives and live it out. So that those around us will know that we are children of God and that we have the answers that they need as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've gone through the Christmas of chaos and uh, I think it was kind of an appropriate uh, theme that we went through. Uh, but now we're going back to where we left off in the book of John, John chapter 12. And... Where we are right now is basically the very, very end of Jesus' public ministry. These are really the last words that Jesus is speaking to the public. From here on out, most of what Jesus does is with his apostles, with those chosen twelve, and he is he will be teaching them and preparing them for what comes next, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So really, there are no more miracles other than his, his resurrection and ascension. Uh, there are no more teachings to the masses as Jesus has done in the past. So this basically is the kind of the finality of Jesus' words to the public. And so we look and we see that uh, this kind of summarizes a lot of what we have seen so far in the book of John. Uh, we see his statements that he and the Father are one in verses 44 through 45. We see that Jesus is the light of the world, that he has uh, the power to rescue people out of the darkness of sin. We see that in verse 46. We see that Jesus did not come to judge, but that those who reject him are just already in verses 47 and 48. Uh, Jesus is showing the essence of the Father in all that he does. 
And all that he says, for he is completely obedient to the Father in verse 49. And we see Jesus' purpose for coming to earth is to provide eternal life for humanity in verse 50. So basically these verses are really what Jesus is saying. This is why I came. Now one of the things we struggle with is we know Jesus from this side of the cross. From this side of uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. We know that Jesus fulfilled everything that God had sent for him to do. But it would be difficult for us to imagine ourselves on the other side of the cross where these Jewish people, where this crowd, uh, where all the people in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas had been witnessing him for about three, three and a half years. Now, when they looked at Jesus, what did they see? They saw a man of flesh and blood. They saw somebody that looked like a Jew. They saw somebody who was teaching great things. Well, there have been many philosophers. I mean, out of the, I mean, Rome was one that, you know, was kind of overpowering everything. Before Rome, there's the Greeks, and they were all very into philosophy, teaching good things, how to live a right life. And so Jesus comes along, he's teaching how to live a right life. So this is really nothing new to them. And for somebody to claim that they're God. Did you know pretty much every emperor of Rome claimed that he was a God? So these were not strange things for them to hear. And Jesus had already fulfilled all the uh, prophecies up until his death, burial, and resurrection. He was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and many, many, many other things. But did you know probably most people did not even know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? They saw him as a man of the, uh, from Nazarene. They called him a Nazarite. And even one of his apostles uh, said, can anything good come out of a Nazareth? And so we we see that there's a lot of confusion about Jesus. And so when we look at the Jewish people and the many people who had heard Jesus' teachings, and we condemn them for not believing, there's a reason for it. It was hard to believe what Jesus was saying and doing, that he was actually claiming to be equal with God. And so we look and we see that Jesus is simply saying, I came not for myself. I do not speak on my own. I have been sent from God and I speak his words. In other words, the words I say are not just man's teachings to man. It is God's words to mankind. So, we kind of look at the failure to believe. If Just kind of doing a real quick synopsis of where we left off. If you went back to verses 37 through 43, which is our last uh, passage that we dealt with in the book of John. What we see is that there's a reasoning why the Jewish people were not believing. First of all, they would not believe. I just gave you some reasons why they would not believe. We found those in verses 37 and 38. Then they could not believe. They, they, they mentally could not get past that Jesus was not just a man, that he was God. And that's verse 39. And then they should not believe, verses 40 and 41, said that God had blinded them. Why did God blind them? Because they had rejected the word so often, so much, to such an extent that their hearts were hardened. And so God gave them over to their hardened hearts and they were blinded. 
But in spite of all the evidence that Jesus had fulfilled all these prophecies, the people just simply could not see that he was of God. That he was not only just sent from God, but he spoke of God. Everything he did was in obedience to God. Every word that he said was directly from God. They were struggling to understand these things. So they continued to ignore the truth that stood before them. And again, it's hard for us to understand that, but if you lived in that day and you were in their shoes, you could probably understand it a little bit better. But Jesus is the light of the world, and he claimed to be the light of the world. And he claimed that for a reason. He knew that the the world was in darkness, and the darkness had kind of encapsulated the people. And the darkness is from Satan. Satan wants us to stay blind. He wants us to stay in darkness. He does not want to see the light, the path that helps us to see the the direction that we need to go. And so we look and we see that Jesus is the darkness that came to to lead. I mean, it's the uh, it's the light of the world to get people out of the darkness to shine a light for two different reasons. When the light shines on us spiritually, it first shows us that we're filthy. That we're filthy with our sin. And then the light shows us the path to take that gets us out of sin. Now, first thing that I looked at was, where do we find all these things? Well, God always reminds us things that he's already said in the past. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But not all in our world call upon him. Let's go back to verse 44, the very first few words. And Jesus cried out. Now, basically what this means is he shouted. He said something in a loud voice. Now, there's only a few times in the scriptures that Jesus becomes animated. The, the most popular ones that we see are the times that he went into the temple to cleanse the temple. He was pretty animated, running the people out of the temple. But most of the time, Jesus was a pretty calm person. He would sit or stand with people gathered around him, and he would just simply teach them the truths. But here we see that Jesus cries out. Why do you think Jesus said something in a loud voice to to get the people's attention? Well, I've already shared it. This is the last time that Jesus will be speaking to the public. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. He knows that this is really the last opportunity he's going to get to try to get the people's attention, to get them to examine him for who he is, and to accept him as Savior. So his desire is for all to come to salvation, but not all is going to accept that. Many will continue to refuse to listen, and unfortunately they will remain deaf to the truth. Latter part of that verse, as well as going into the verse 44, 45, shows the unity with the Father. Now, this is not anything new. Uh, it amazes me that there are still people in our world today that say Jesus never said that he was equal or, or the same as God the Father. Well, they haven't read the book of John, nor the other Gospels. In the book of John, we have seven I am statements, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the light of the world, I am the living water, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. So on and on he says, I am. Well, that 
little phrase I am, and I always capitalize both I and the A-M because it refers to I am God. He is equating himself with God. We just read in our, uh, our responsive reading the Trinity. All three persons, one God. Can't comprehend that as human beings. We kind of get a, a glimpse of it, but for us to understand that there's one God, but we see him in three different persons, is it's, it's mind-boggling. But Jesus understood it, and he continues to say, I am God. And if we struggle with that, John chapter 10, verse 30, he says it about, about as clearly as he can. I and the Father are one. Not, not two different entities, but one. We are the same. And so we look at this passage where he says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Here again, Jesus again is showing the unity that he has with God the Father. Jesus is not just a man sent from God to teach us. He is God with us. God with us. Emmanuel, that's what that word means. God with us. And so we look and we see that he is simply telling everyone once more, because he's already said it many times before, that I am one with the Father. When you hear me speak, you're not hearing a man speak. You are hearing God the Father speak to you. When we read these verses, it is not John speaking. It is not Jesus speaking. It is God speaking to us. We need to understand that when we read the Word of God. It is His Word, God's words to us. And so, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus because He claimed that He was God. They, they said He's blaspheming, that He is claiming to be God. That's one of the main reasons why they wanted to arrest Him and have Him killed. Then, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world. I am the light of the world. He said this many times before in the book of John. I am. I am God, the light of the world. Now, has anybody ever crawled underneath this sanctuary? Uh, I got a shake from Doyle's head. I've crawled from where it enters over here back to the soundboard over here. It's... It's not a lot of room under there in places. And it's just a dirt floor. And I had a little headlight on so I could see where I was going. But you know what? With just a little headlight pointing in the direction to, to the soundboard back here, you're not seeing how dirty you get. You don't realize how filthy you get until you get back outside in the light. The headlight's only showing you the path to get to. It'd be great if everything under there was well lit, make it a little easier, but... All you'd be doing is realizing how dirty you're getting. But that's kind of an illustration about God. As long as we're in the darkness, we don't realize how filthy we are. Now I'm talking about spiritual darkness. As long as we are living in spiritual darkness, we do not recognize the filth of our sins. But Jesus is the light of the world. And he came to show us, number one, that we are sinners. That's why we go back to... Romans chapter 3 verse 13. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And so Jesus is the light of the world that shines down on us, not physically to show us that we got dirty clothes, but to shine on us spiritually to show us that we have dirty hearts, dirty minds, dirty spirits, that we are filthy. Even the Bible says that our own righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. And so the first thing Jesus is as the light of the world is he shows us the filth of our sin, that we are sinners and we cannot stand in the presence of God because of our sin. But the second thing that the light of the world does, he shines the path for us to move from the filth of sin into salvation. That's why Jesus came. He came to show us the way of life, the way of salvation. And so we look and we see that Jesus is the light of the world. Praise God. He has shown us the light. Um, when I look at life, it just comes to me that really there is a blessing that God has given me and you. We don't deserve anything that God's given us. Not a single thing. We don't deserve the breath that we breathe. We don't deserve the monies that we earn. We don't deserve anything. Everything we have is a gift of God, but the greatest gift of God is that he took us out of spiritual darkness, showed us our filth, gave us an opportunity to confess our sins before him, and he cleansed us of that filth, the sins of our lives, and he placed the righteousness of Christ upon us. And now when when God looks at us, he no longer sees the filth of our sins, he sees the righteousness of Christ, because Jesus is the one who saved us through his death, his burial, and resurrection. That's the message of salvation. That's the light that came. Well, where does judgment come from? How are we to be judged? Well, that's a good question because a lot of people still struggle with this. Jesus, on many occasions, basically said, I did not come into the world to judge, but I came into the world to save. If you go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, the greatest verse in all the scriptures for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever liveth, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, a lot of people just stop right there. But if you read verses 17 through 21, you're going to see exactly what Jesus is saying in these verses. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So what Jesus is saying in these verses is just a repeat of what we found all the way back in John chapter 3. He did not come to condemn. He did not come to judge. He came to save. So where is judgment? Well, he says in verse 47, I did not come. I did not I did not come to judge. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Then verse 48, he who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. 
The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. The gospel. Jesus' words is the gospel. The message of salvation. If you reject the gospel, then those words will stand before you when you stand before God on judgment day. If you have accepted the gospel, if you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and He is Savior and Lord of your life, then God will not judge you according to your sins. But if you have rejected the gospel, then the gospel will be the witness against you. And if you have rejected it and stayed in the darkness, then you will be judged by your sins. So, in a very brief passage, Jesus is telling us how we're going to be judged. Jesus did not come the first time to judge. But when he comes again, that will be the end of time. That will be the time of judgment. And he will be standing in judgment. His gospel will be the judge over all. For those who have accepted it, salvation, eternal life, eternity with God the Father. For those who stayed in darkness and rejected it, eternal damnation. Judgment, eternity. So we look and we see that judgment will come on all. You have either entered into the light and followed the light, or you have rejected the light and stayed in darkness. Well, people may have heard the word, but they still have to do something with the message that they've heard. You know, there's always this question, what about people who have never heard the gospel. Well, God's got an answer for that. It's not one that we like when he says that you must respond to the word. Then there's a condemnation against us if we're not sharing the word. We look and we see that the gospel has to be received for salvation. They cannot receive the gospel and surrender to Christ if they're not willing to enter into the, into the light. And leave the darkness behind. Well, look at verse 49. Jesus fulfills God's plan. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now, a lot of people, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, all they could imagine was this is simply a man telling us things. On his own accord, he's speaking what's on his heart, what's on his mind. That's the only way we can think about each other, right? It's hard for us to think that, well, God is speaking through this person. When somebody says something to you, you just assume that they're speaking from their own heart and mind. That's what Jesus is getting away from. He's saying, I do not speak on my own initiative. Everything I say, every word that comes out of my mouth is from God. I'm simply being obedient spokesman for God. So every word that Jesus ever spoke was directly from God. We got to understand that. He wasn't just teaching as a human being, teaching what he thought was right or wrong. He was teaching us exactly what God the Father knows is right and wrong. And so we look and we see that When Jesus speaks, we must believe his words. We can't just say, well, 
I just read this in the scripture, but here's my thoughts on what it means. Now, God's word is pretty clear. We can't reinterpret it a different way. We can't say, I don't like how that sounds, so I'm going to make it sound something different. Every word that Jesus spoke was found from the Father. It says, he who sent me has given me a commandment. God commanded Jesus to say these things. Jesus had no option. He never spoke on his own initiative. So we look and we see that Jesus fulfills God's plan. Remember, he and the Father are one. There's no separation from the two. Jesus didn't have to wonder, did I hear that right, God? Am I sure I got that right? They were on the same plane. There was no question as to what God wanted Jesus to speak. Well, verse 50 kind of gives a summation of Jesus' purpose. I know that his commandments is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose for coming? Was it just to teach us how to live? Well, he did a good job of that. He lived a perfect, sinless life, showing us exactly how we ought to live. But that's not really why he came. That is a secondary blessing of his life and his love and his compassion for us. The real reason why he came is that we might have eternal life. God has never wanted to condemn anyone. He never wants anybody to die in their sins and go to hell. He wants all to come to salvation and to receive his gift of eternal life. That's why Jesus came. He came in obedience to God the Father. Now, again, the struggle is with the Jewish people at that time, he had not fulfilled or finished his work on earth. He had not done what it will take for them to be, for their sins to be washed away and for them to have that gift of eternal life. See, it's his death, burial, and resurrection that gives us that gift. It is only when Jesus died in our place for our sins that our sins can be forgiven. It is only his resurrection that proves that his death was in obedience to God and paid the price for our sinfulness that we are found cleansed in God's eyes and given his gift of eternal life. The people are still on the other side of the cross. And so they were struggling to understand why Jesus was saying these words. How can this man that we're looking at, flesh and blood, give us eternal life? How can we live forever because of this one guy that we're looking at? So we have to understand their struggles with accepting Jesus. Looking ahead a little bit, when Jesus died, when he came back to life on that third day, and the multitudes witnessed him, And then those who witnessed him could not help but share the truth that Jesus was alive. That he raised from the dead. Then many who were on this side of the cross said, now I believe. Now I believe. Matter of fact, some of the priests 
actually became believers in Jesus Christ. The very ones who were wanting to crucify him right here became followers of Christ later on. He had a he had his brothers that rejected him. James was one of those brothers. Now on the other side of the cross, James is a preacher in the church in Jerusalem, a faithful believer, and he writes the book of James for others to know that Jesus is the Messiah. The Savior of the world. So, it's hard for us not to condemn the Jews at that time. If you try to put yourself in their shoes, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has not yet taken place. All they see is this man that they say is from Nazareth, a place of ill repute, a place that has no good reputation, that he was just got a ragtag bunch of guys that have been wandering through Galilee for a few years, and doing some really neat stuff, but you know, miracles weren't, uh, I mean, it'd been a while since people had been doing miracles, but they read the prophets. They knew that Elijah and Elisha had both done some mighty miracles. So, yeah, maybe sent from God, but is he God in the flesh? So they were truly struggling. But what about us? What about us? The light of the world is still here. There's times even in the life of a Christian that we need to allow the light to penetrate us anew. To cause us to examine our hearts, our minds, our lives and see, are we truly living for God in a way that honors Him? Is there anything in my life that I need to get rid of? Have I allowed sinful things to re-enter into my life? See, just because the Bible says that the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new, doesn't mean that we can't sin anymore. We still are flesh and blood and we still fight the sins of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. We still fight that each and every day. And Satan and his demonic forces are doing everything that they possibly can to keep us from living for the Lord. If they can silence us or keep us weak as Christians, then they can't take our salvation, but they can keep us from leading others to Christ. So we look and we see the light of the world is still here. And he still shines his light upon us to show us the filth of our sins. And when we as children of God experience that penetrating light, showing us sinfulness that we still have. We need to get on our knees, confess our sins to God, repent of those sins. Confessing is just saying, Lord, I have done this. Repenting is saying, Lord, I don't want to keep doing this. I want to turn away from that sin and turn towards you in obedience. And as we do that, God says, I will not only forgive you of your sins, but I will cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. That makes us pure and holy again to stand in His presence. That's what we need to be doing every day. That self-examination, that cleansing from God, that resurrendering our lives to Him so that He can work in us and through us to work His will in our lives. So He can use us to share His gospel. So he can use us to minister to the needs around us. Folks, if you don't think there's any needs around you, you're blind. 
This world is in darkness. Our nation, the United States of America, is getting darker and darker every day. Spiritually, we are very dark right now. When you look at Christianity, well, you got to use a pretty broad term for Christianity. It basically means if you say anything that sounds biblical, you're a Christian. Folks, there's a lot in this world that claims to be Christian that has nothing to do with Christianity. There's a lot of pseudo-psychological people on television and radio that mention a few things out of the scriptures just to make it sound like they're biblical teachers. And they're not. They're teaching feel-good messages. They're teaching things that are totally contrary to the Word of God. Jesus came as the light of the world First, to save us from our sins. To lead us in the path of righteousness so that we can be light now. We're not the source of light. We're reflectors of the light. We need to be reflecting the light of Christ to the world around us. As we look, we realize that Jesus came for a reason. Except for his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus' earthly ministry is over. From here on out, he's going to be spending pretty much his dominant time with his apostles. So we've got about a week to go. But yet, uh, we've got quite a few more chapters to go in the book of John. If his followers who've been following him for three, three and a half years still needed that much time, that many words, that much teaching to get them to understand what comes next... Guess what? We need it too. We need to understand the importance of Jesus preparing his disciples for what came next. We need to understand that as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you realizing that you came for a reason. You came to save us from our sins. You came to shine your light on humanity to show the filth of our sinfulness, and show the path that will lead us into salvation and eternal life. Lord, we know that past this passage, that you died for our sins, that you rose eternally to show us that you have proven that your death was accepted by God the Father for the penalty of our sins, and that now our sins can be forgiven and we can receive your gift of eternal life. But Lord, there are many in our world, they're still in darkness. Lord, they may have gotten a glimpse of the light, but instead of moving towards the light, real, realizing and admitting their sinfulness and realizing that you are the only way of salvation, they turned and retreated back into the darkness. Lord, that's where our world is today. Lord, there's so much darkness. But yet, Lord, you've chosen us to be the light in this world, to reflect the light of Christ through our lives, through our words, through our testimonies, through our witness. Lord, help us to be found faithful in sharing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.